Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. He was prophesying about it, talking about it, and excited about it. And so um, sometimes we get started early, but uh, if you like this time of the year, you enjoy um, Christmas and all that it represents, you can't get started early enough. Praise God. And so I'm I'm going to, to preach a little bit from the Christmas story today, and uh, I know we have next Sunday, but I just felt really led of the Spirit to go this direction this morning. Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 1, and it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse's wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want you to notice verse 1, and this is where I want to lift our title this morning from. And it came to pass in those days. It came to pass in those days. And so I want to preach for the next few moments upon this subject. In those days. In those days. Let's lift up our hearts to the Lord and pray that he would move and have his way in these services today. Would you pray with me? Pray for his blessing, his anointing. Come on, let's lift up our voices to him right now. Lord Jesus, I am asking you to move, to work, to have your way in this house, to touch each and every heart and life that is gathered here in this place. I'm asking you to have your way. God, we know, Lord, that you want to do a specific work here this morning. We thank you. We praise you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, would you clap your hands to the Lord? God. Thank you so much for standing and you may be seated. 
Charlie Brown, it seems like we always think about Charlie Brown when it comes to Christmas time. And he couldn't get into the Christmas spirit. And his little friend, Lennis, uh, observed and said, Charlie Brown, you're the only person that I know that can take the wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. I don't know about you, but I love this particular time of the year, especially the subject matter and what it represents, the incarnation of Christ, him coming to this world. And I'm thankful that God robed himself in flesh and came to this world. He didn't have to do that. And uh, I know that there are many that try to commercialize this particular period of the year, and that is what it is. And there's people that try to hijack the very idea of Christian uh, philosophy about Christmas. But um, I understand and I know that this uh, particular season is not necessarily the time maybe that Jesus was born, but it is the time that we celebrate it. And I'm thankful that in America that we take time to celebrate Jesus being born, coming to this world, living among men. I'm thankful for that. So all of the other things do, do not spoil that for me. I enjoy the warmth and the wonder of this particular month and the celebration of Christmas. During the late 80s, a man that I know uh, purchased a ranch, a small ranch, up north of the Dallas Metroplex, and he with his family decided that they would begin to raise cattle. And so they chose more specifically to raise longhorn cattle. And uh, people in Texas many times choose to do that because uh, they are well adapted to the climate. They are not as prone to disease and sicknesses. And uh, so they begin to raise these cattle in some way or another. Uh, these cattle got a little mixed up. And instead of throwing their calves in the spring as you try and endeavor to uh, make sure that that happens, they uh, was heavy with uh, a calf. One of the heifers was earlier in the year during the wintertime, and there was a rogue ice storm that as many times we get here in North Texas that, that came down through the Dallas area and ice was on everything. It was very cold. And he said, I went out and I could tell that something was wrong, that that cow had had her calf. She was standing by the fence and uh, he said, I could just tell that, that something was wrong because the calf was, was not with her. And so he began to search around, and he found in a certain area in the pasture where she had given birth to that calf, and it was totally encased in ice. Ice was all around it. Ice was on it, and uh, it was not moving very well, and it was bleeding out of its nose. And so he took it to the barn, did his best to doctor it, help it, and nurture it, and he called the veterinarian. And he asked him what he could do. And he said, sir, he said, you're about the fourth or fifth rancher that has called me this morning with this very same problem. 
he said, I, I just want to tell you that it's probably not a good scenario. This calf is probably not going to, to make it. He said, you just well accept it. It's probably going to die. And before he hang up, he made this statement, and this statement resonated with me. He said, bless his heart. He just picked a bad day to be born. When I heard this story, I couldn't help but think, but think of the story in the Gospel of Luke that I read to you this morning. The Bible said, and it came to pass in those days. The vet said he picked a bad day to be born. And this was probably many people's opinion of Jesus' birth because when you understand the time and the air in which Jesus was born into, you have to ask yourself the question, why did God choose such a bad day for Jesus to be born? And Luke chapter 2 is essentially uh, a glimpse of what that day was like, but it really doesn't give us the, all of the history behind it and a good understanding of the characters that were involved. We know that the people were living under Roman rule and the Caesar of that time, Augustus, uh, who was ruling Rome, demanded that everybody go back to the city of their origin, the city of their birth, and register there and pay their taxes because he was uh, trying to conquer the world in other places and he needed more finances and money to do it. He wanted to make certain that everybody paid their taxes and he was levying their taxes. And so this was going on. And then Herod the Great, who was the king of the Jews at that time, uh, was really not providing any spiritual leadership, but was a godless man, a man that had five wives, the youngest of whom was the infamous Cleopatra. And he was a very vicious man. He was suspicious of anyone that would threaten his throne. And in his quest to maintain his power, he had his own nine-year-old son beheaded. He had his five-year-old boy drowned in a well. These were dark, dark spiritual days. Even difficult for me to describe, to articulate here this morning, just how bleak and how dark the days were. When you study about some of these Caesars that came before the time of Christ and then just after the time of Christ and leading up through the time of the birth of the church, you read about them and the hideous things that they were involved in, the immorality that was rampant, people that had no respect for the things of God. You understand just prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, there had been 400 silent years. That means 400 years where there was no voice of God. There was no direction. There was no spiritual guidance. There was no leadership whatsoever for the people of God. There would be no prophet to preach to them, no man of God to intercede for them, and the effects of that were horrible. And we see this around the time of Christ. Herod, in his crazed jealousy, he said, uh, why, don't you, why don't you go find him? 
to the wise men. And uh, when you have found his location, you come back and notify me where he is. And I'll go to and worship him. But he was deceiving them because he wanted to put anyone that would threaten his throne to death. And thankfully God spoke through an angel to Joseph, the foster father of Jesus. And he was moved to Egypt until that man died. But in his attempt to find where Jesus was and to make sure uh, that he did not ascend into any type of power. He demanded that every child that was born, a male child, be slain and be killed. And uh, the Bible tells us that there was a great well that went forth in the land among the Jews because uh, of Herod and because of his attempt to extinguish any possibility that anyone would take away his throne. And we understand that this particular time was a time when these cities were antiquated. There was no running water. There was open sewers. Sickness and disease proliferated through these cities during this time. And uh, there was stench. Before you ever approached the city, you could smell it. Before you could ever see it, you could smell the stench in your nostrils. There was very little medical support. If you contracted one of these diseases, there was a great possibility that you would perish, that you would die. And uh, there was no real form of, of, of real uh, legislative powers that that governed the land other than just to benefit themselves. There was no police force that protected the people. If your house caught fire, it just burnt down. And if your child was diseased, there was very little that could be done. This was the time. These were the days that Jesus was born into. This lawless, filthy, poverty-stricken society. I, I remember probably the closest that I could, could uh, describe to you that, that I have experienced that would, would even be close to this was flying into uh, the country of Ethiopia. And when the plane landed on the ground in the city, which is the most modern city there of Addis Ababa, when we landed on the ground, I could smell immediately uh, people that they don't have uh, sanitation uh, trucks that come around on Monday morning and get their trash, so they mostly have to burn it themselves to dispose of it. And there was just a haze of smoke through the city. They say at night that they burn their trash, and you could smell the effects of that. I took some gentlemen over there with me on a missions trip, and they were walking down the game plane, and I seen them wrinkling up their noses, and one of them asked, what in the world is that smell? I said, welcome to Ethiopia because this is just the way it is here. And uh, this is very primitive and this is an area that is poverty stricken. And these were the days. The Bible said it came to pass in those days. Not only were those days challenging environmentally, not only were they challenging physically, not only were they challenging uh, medically, 
not only were they challenging governmentally, but they uh, were also challenging for this couple socially. You understand that these two were not married yet. They were espoused or betrothed to one another. And this was almost a period of time in their Jewish custom of training to become married. And uh, the, the, the man was learning his responsibilities and what they would be as a husband. And the lady was responsible for learning what, what her duties were going to be when she became a wife. And they were mentored. And during this time, they were fully committed to one another as though they were married. And uh, it was a time period where every, everything that they did was under a microscope. Every, everybody knew that these people were committed to one another. It was stronger than even uh, our American tradition of being engaged. It was stronger than that because the... These people were betrothed to one another. And if there was anything that was to come up during that time, it was a great embarrassment to this couple for this thing to be broken off. You know, it seems like nowadays in America when uh, young people are engaged to one another and, and uh, that, that commitment is broken off, it's not really that big of a deal. We would rather that happen than for there to be a divorce down the road. And so uh, this particular couple, they were betrothed to one another. Uh, and this was a very significant covenant that they had entered into. And in the midst of this, she, Mary, receives a visitation from an angel. Now you've got to understand people are watching for any missteps, anything that could be wrong, any breach in this commitment and covenant that they had entered into. And the angel comes and says, Mary, you're highly favored and you're blessed among all the women. And I'm sure when he told her about what was going to happen in the coming days of her life, she did not feel like that was a blessing. She did not feel like that was favor from God. In fact, she knew the implications. She knew uh, how society would feel. She knew the ridicule that she could receive. And she also knew the pressure that this was going to place upon Joseph and the embarrassment that it could possibly bring to him. And so the scripture tells us that she did not tell these things. She kept them in her heart for a period of time. And as the days progressed and, and uh, her being expecting a child, as the signs of that began to be obvious to everyone that knew her, you can imagine the whispering that took place and the gossip and the ridicule. And the Bible says that this is a great uh, thing that, that even Joseph had to endure and he thought of putting her away privately. And the angel of the Lord visited him and said, don't, don't be disturbed by this. But uh, that which she uh, is bearing has been conceived by the Holy Ghost. She's going to give birth to the Messiah. And when they would tell people this, no doubt they had to look at them and say, yeah, sure. And then they had to wonder why 
that God would choose a little uh, poverty-stricken family, a little couple that didn't have much? Why would he choose uh, a young man that was a carpenter to be the, the foster father, if you will, of Jesus? Why would he choose a, a peasant girl to give birth to the Messiah? And so you understand that not only all of these other challenges that existed, that this was a challenge also. But the Bible says, nevertheless, it came to pass in those days as they were making their way back to their city of birth, back to Bethlehem. And they went uh, to register and to do what the law required them to do. And when they arrived there, she had ridden many miles on this beast of burden, a donkey, which is not the smoothest of rides, but it was all that they had. And when they finally arrived there, she was weary and her time was drawing near that she was going to give birth to Jesus. And, and they asked if there was any room in the inn. And the innkeeper, no doubt holding back rooms for important government officials and no doubt holding back rooms for VIPs that were going to come in. He looked at this little peasant couple and said, you know what, we don't have room for you, but uh, if you insist on staying here, we do, have, we do have a little stable out back. And what this consisted of was not like we think of barns and stables, but this was like a dugout into the side of a hill. And... Uh, it was a cave, more or less, and it was damp, and it was cold in there. And animals were there, and you can imagine the smells that existed in that stable. And uh, uh, you, you walk through a barnyard, you, you know. And, and he was born, laid in a manger, and swaddling clothes wrapped around him. And so if God is perfectly God, and he is then why did he choose this? Why did he choose these conditions? If he can do anything he desires, and it could have been, uh, it could have been a royal palace. It could, have been, it, could have been, it could have been all of the splendors and all of the pageantry of a king or prince being born. Why is it that he chose a stable? Why is it that he chose a meager little town of Bethlehem? Why is it that he chose a manger? Why is it that he chose swaddling clothes? Came to pass in those days. Why was Jesus born in those days? Why not a Victorian heir? All of the things that go along with that and all of the customs and all of the, the highbrow of society. Why not a palace? Why not uh, when there were available rooms? Why during the period of of there being taxation and all that goes along with uh, the government and what they were requiring of them at that time. Why such a busy and full city? Why not an era when there was electricity and hospitals and medical doctors? Why in those conditions, dangerous days, difficult days, hungry days, poverty-stricken days, gossiping, whispering days, politically unsettled days, if God's timing is perfect, why? I believe the answer is clear. 
He said, I chose those days because they were the most difficult. And I came anyway. They were the most challenging. And that's when I showed up. That's when I made my entrance into this world. And we often use the cliche that it's been one of those days. That usually means that it's been a bad day. It's been a challenging day. But it was one of those days that Jesus came to this world. It was one of those days that the Messiah showed up. It was one of those days that he made his entrance. It was one of those days that he made his presence known. And can I tell you that he's still doing that very same thing today. In this world, in our times, he still shows up. Not just when it's good. Not just when it's perfect. Not when everything is in order. Not when everything is kosher. But he shows up when we need him to show up. He shows up in the most desperate of situations. The most desperate of times. That's when God shows up. That's when he makes his entrance. When you throw up your hands and you say, I'm exasperated, there's no hope, I don't see a way out. That's when my God is going to come. That's when my God is going to make his entrance. That's when my God, the Savior of the world, is going to show how much he cares. If you want to understand how much he loves the world, how much he loves you, how much he loves souls. You have to understand the world that he came to. Because when you understand the conditions, when you understand and it's described to you, the timing of it all, then you can understand that verse of scripture that we quote so often, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful that he came. I'm thankful for when he does show up. It's when I need him. Oh, people were crying out. People were hungry. People were were thirsty for, for God to intervene into their situation. People were praying. People were believing that the Messiah was going to come. Some had said, why hasn't he came already? And some were looking for him to come somewhere down in the future. And he slipped in the back door of his own creation and said, I'm here now. I'm here when you least expected me to show up. When it was least convenient. When it seemed like there was no hope. Here I am to help you. Here I am to work in your life. Here I am to save. Here I am to deliver. Here I am to perform miracles. In those days. Praise God. And we all have those days. Amen. That's when Jesus came. And that's how he still comes. In those days. Amen. We've all had them. We've all had them. I've pastored this church long enough to be through some of those days with folks in this place. I've watched some folks in this house walk through some dark, dismal days. I've prayed with you. We've trusted the Lord together. 
I've watched some have to say goodbye to precious family members that passed on. I've watched others receive negative reports from the doctor that told them that their health was in bad condition. And if something didn't turn around, that uh, it didn't look like they were long for this world. I've been with, with folks when they received the, the most negative news that any parent could receive, and that is that uh, maybe their, their children were in a dire situation. I'll never forget, it was just about uh, a month earlier than now, that uh, stood with Sister Trichelle in San Antonio, Texas, about 11 and a half, 12 years ago. And, and we uh, stood there uh, beside, beside the bed of her daughter that had been in a tragic accident. And the doctor says, you've got to tell her that her daughter medically has already passed and... We're just keeping her alive by the machines. And you need to go in there and tell her that this daughter is not going to wake up. Now, that's hard for a faith preacher to do. That's hard for a person that believes in miracles to do. And so we prayed and we continued to believe a, a few days longer. And, and uh, we accepted that maybe this was the way that God would have it. And so uh, to tell her uh, the stark reality and... Uh, and, and watch her and her faith. And uh, then, you know, uh, Carl was, was not coming to church and endeavoring to live for God at all. And, and so she, she basically, and her daughter Wendy was not living here. And so basically she was on her own. She was standing by herself. And I remember not long after that walking into the facility back behind us and hearing the wails and the cries of that mother praying and touching God. But it was in those days that God came to her and visited her and comforted her and gave her peace and helped her and strengthened her along. It was in those days that God did not fail to show up. It was in those days that God began to strengthen her. Praise the Lord. I, I never shall forget. I just, uh, just had, had it all kind of planned out how we were going to begin uh, the evangelistic endeavor I felt certain that God had called us. I was all of 19 years old and, uh, and uh, was looking forward. It was in uh, December of 1993. was looking forward to going out into the evangelistic work and purchased a trailer and truck. I didn't know a whole lot about it, but I was, my family had uh, already flown on to California and they were awaiting me there, and I was going to drive the, the trailer and the truck across uh, the desert to California. And I stopped off in a little place in New Mexico to get some rest. And there was an explosion, to make a long story short, in that trailer and fire everywhere. And here I felt trapped inside, but by the hand of God was able to escape. But what didn't escape was all of our belongings. And everything was totally burnt up in that fire. Everything we owned, everything that we personally had, which wasn't much, and what little money that we had saved was also uh, totally consumed in that fire. 
I, I got out just with uh, the few clothes that I had on my body. All I had was a pair of sweatpants and socks and, and a T-shirt on. I was asleep in that trailer. And when I got out, I was standing there barefooted and ran across to a convenience store and told them what was going on. And when they looked at me, I could tell that something was wrong with me physically. And uh, touched my face, and I could feel the, the blisters and the skin moving beneath my hand. And uh, they took me to a little hospital, and shock was setting in about all that was happening and taking place. And, and uh, the fire, the chief of the fire department came down. He said, when I walked out of my house when I got this call, of course, in that country you can see, you can see for miles. I mean, there's no trees, there's nothing and he said, I could see the blaze and the smoke going up when they called me. And he said, I thought, you know, if that's a trailer, there's no way we could save the trailer. It's just hope, hopefully uh, the people that were in it are out of it. And he said, when I learned that you were in the trailer when it caught fire, I felt sure that you had also been consumed. He said, because these things go up in just a few minutes. They're totally gone. And when we went back the next morning, it was a, it looked like a, it looked like a gooseneck trailer, just a flatbed, and it was still hooked up to the truck. Thankfully, they was able to save the truck. And uh, I lay in that hospital bed and uh, uncertain about the future, didn't know what was going on, didn't have really much security, didn't have but, but uh, just one revival or two on the schedule. And I walked in, looked in the mirror, and saw the blisters and the singed hair and knew that everything I owned had already been burned up in, in the fire and didn't have any money or no way. And, and my wife was flying to, to meet us there and wondering about all of these things and how it was all going to, to pan out, how, what, what kind of future were we going to have if this is how it got started. But it was in those days, laying there in that hospital bed, that the Lord showed up. It was in those days that he visited me. It was in those times that the Lord reassured me. It was during those times that I felt the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody in this room this morning that's having some of those days. Amen. But I'm going to tell you that's the kind of days that the Lord comes to. That's the ones that he, he introduces himself into. That's the ones that he shows up in is when you need. He said, I, 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 the whole need not a physician. Amen. He said, I, I didn't come. I didn't come for those, uh, amen, that's got it all together. I, I didn't come for those that doesn't have any needs. Uh, I didn't come for those uh, that have it perfect. And he said, I come for them that are in need of me, those that are hungry for me, those that desire me. Amen. That's the days that he came into, desperate days. Brother uh, Doc and I, a few years ago, had the privilege of riding motorcycles from San Diego all the way up uh, the coastline almost to San Francisco on the Highway 1. Amen. Those were some good days. And uh, anyway, we stopped off at my uncle's place. I was thinking about this this morning. And he's got an older daughter that's five years younger than myself. 
and her name is Jamie, and Jamie's a beautiful young lady. They helped their father there, assisting him in the church, her and her husband. That's two beautiful daughters. And uh, anyway, Jamie came out and met us, and, and uh, later that evening I went out to eat with Jamie, and I noticed that there was one of the family that was missing that I didn't have the opportunity to see, and that was their younger daughter, Jackie. And Jackie had, during that time, developed a, a very bad drug problem. And uh, here, a pastor, pastor's wife, doing their best to fight hell and, and have revival and see a move of God. And their own daughter got caught up in the drug scene and drugs and, and, uh, and was really just beautiful girl, had a lot of potential, just destroying her own life. And so I, I told them to tell her that I would have liked to have seen her, but understand and, you know, tell her I said hi. Went back to California. It may have been, I don't know, not a year later for this Christmas season. And it was long, right about this time. And actually, uh, talked to my uncle. I was at my parents and I talked to my uncle and uh, we were going to meet the next day. And later that evening there was a call and I could hear my mother wailing from the back of the house, crying. And uh, what had happened was as my uncle had went over to the place where Jackie was staying and he found her there, her cold lifeless body. And she had overdosed right about a three or four days before Christmas. And uh, 23 years old. And, you know, one would think, man, that's, that's ruined Christmas forever. That's messed everything up. And it was a sad time. It was a sad day. In fact, just after Christmas, first part of the year, we had a funeral and uh, went out and helped with the officiating the services and the sadness that came during that time was indescribable. But I watched. I watched. I thought, you know, this right here could totally, totally destroy this family, this church, these people. But I watched as the presence of God came during those sad days. God enveloped them with his peace his comfort and though they missed their daughter God has brought revival to that little church and in those days something was cultivated in their hearts to draw closer to the Lord and I uh, you know my younger cousin Jamie I've watched her as she's developed into a, a young lady that loves God and, and is endeavoring her very best to serve God and helping in the work of God and loving God and a worship leader in that church and playing and singing and worshiping the Lord. And I thought, you know, those days could have destroyed her, but it was in those days that she developed that rock-solid relationship with God that she needed. Praise the Lord. And I'm preaching to somebody that you may feel like you're walking through a valley right now, but that valley is where battles are fought 
And it's also where victories are won. Hallelujah. Amen. And when you come out on the other side, you can be like David. You can come out with a giant's head underneath your arm, knowing that God has fought for me and that God has showed up and he introduced his anointing and his power and his presence into my situation. During those days, days when you feel like giving up, days when it feels like there's no hope, Days when it feels like it couldn't be any worse. Days when you wonder what is going on. That's when Jesus comes. It came to pass. The greatest story. The greatest story ever. Ever told. Ever to be. Happened in days. And on a backdrop. That no one would have ever dreamed, could have ever produced anything worthwhile. Amen. In those days, in those days. Would you lift up your hands with me right now? Come on, would you talk to the Lord with me right now? Hallelujah. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Come on, let's reach out to heaven right now, church. Let's thank the Lord for his presence right now. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Come on, let's continue to talk to him. Let's continue to reach out to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know who I may be preaching to this morning, but I feel led of the Spirit, directed of the Holy Ghost to tell you that these days is when God's going to come. God's going to make Himself known. You know, when you you compare, when you put the days that Jesus was born into and you you put them here and then you put these days as far as politically the unsettledness economic situations are questionable morals of people is pretty much at an all time low when you can put them side by side there's a lot of parallels I think Jesus is fixing to make his second entrance into this world. I feel like with all my heart that he's getting ready to return for his church. I don't know what your eschatology is this morning, and that's not something that I like to debate on. But personally, I don't feel like there's one thing prophetically that has to happen. I don't think there's one thing left that has to take place that prohibits Jesus from coming. I think he could come right as we're standing in this sanctuary this morning. I believe his coming is that close and that near. And for those of us that know him and have his spirit, 
been baptized in his name, have been redeemed. What a day that's going to be. What a wonderful, wonderful experience. Amen. To know that God raptured us out of this world in these dark times that we're living in. But I can't help but wonder that even under the sound of my voice is there people that have not really prepared themselves for that day. You're not ready for the coming of the Lord. In this time, in this season when we celebrate His first appearance, I wonder if we couldn't take time to think about when he's going to come to this world again. The days are looking like it couldn't be that far in the future. Times are looking as though that we need to start looking up towards eastern skies because it's days like this that he shows up. Hallelujah. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want every saint of God in this place. I don't want to be like the Apostle Paul, having done so much, accomplished so much, been with him and had a relationship with him so long, preached to others and been a castaway. But God, we all need to search our hearts this morning. Are we ready? Are we ready? Don't let the days get us to the point that we're distracted. Don't let the days get us discouraged and some way separated from our real need, and that's a relationship with you. God, help us today. I wonder if there's somebody I'd like to pray. This would be a good day for somebody to receive the Holy Ghost. This would be a good day for somebody to feel lifted in their spirit. This would be a good day for somebody to be healed emotionally and spiritually. This would be a good day for somebody to receive an answer. Hallelujah. It came to pass in those days when it looked like it couldn't get any darker, when it looked like there was absolutely no hope, it looked like times could not get any more bleak. It was in those days that he showed up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. When it seems like we're at the dead end, really, that's a new beginning. That's a new beginning. When it looks like there's no hope, really, that's when God wants to show us that it's in him that we live. It's in him that we dwell. It's in him that we have our being. Hallelujah. Come on, talk to the Lord, church. Search your heart. God, I want to be ready for your coming. I want to be ready. I want to be ready, Jesus, when you split those eastern skies and the trumpet sounds and the church goes home. I want to be a part of that host. I want to be a part of those people. I don't want to be left behind. Hallelujah. God, I thank you, Jesus. 
God, it's in these days that you want to bring revival. It's in these days that you want to restore. It's in these days that you want to work miracles. You want to answer prayers in these days. You want to show up in these days. Hallelujah.